Heavenly Father, you are the holy God, the all-wise God, and the God who loves us. We thank you for all the wonderful things about who you are. Would you please give us insight into your word as we learn more about you and about your gospel and about what part we play in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you more people-oriented or project-oriented? Maybe I should ask your spouse on this one. Um, Now, as human beings, we have to operate in both worlds, right? We can't just say, oh, people are so much more important, so I'm just not going to worry about paying the bills or all those tasks. No. And neither should we say, though, well, all this stuff has to get done so people don't matter. So, yes, to some degree, we all have to live in both worlds of, of sometimes we recognize that relationships are important and other times we recognize, yes, I just have to get something done. But I would like to think that overall we would agree that people are more important than tasks. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Let's say for some reason somebody has asked you to come and help them build a fence on their property. Or I was also thinking the similar analogy could be that somebody just, you know, on an emergency sort of a basis says, I need you to come and watch my kids. So you can think about whichever analogy you want. I'm going to keep going with this fence analogy, though. So let's say that they have asked you to come and help build a fence. And, and when you arrive on their property, the first thing you notice is that, boy, it's just not ready. That you, what, they don't have the materials all here in place, and who's in charge here? And, and the first thing you do is you just get frustrated at all the work that you see that you're going to have to do. And, and throughout that day, just one thing after the next goes wrong, and you're thinking to yourself, couldn't these people have been more organized? They knew that I was coming to help. Couldn't they at least had it ready to go? And, and let's say that throughout that day, you are just, you're just fighting it inside of you. And, and by the end of the day, you get the fence up, but as you leave, the person who asked you to build the fence for you says, well, I'm sure glad they built the fence, but I don't think I ever want to be around them again. Now, hopefully, that, that's not the way that we go about our life. And the reason I give that illustration today is because in, in the passage that we're going to look at today, we're going to learn about a project that God has. The project is actually the Great Commission. Uh, the project is disciple-making. Uh, let me see if, I, if this clicker is working yet now. It might not be. Uh, it is, or unless that was Tom. But uh, okay, that was me. Okay. So there's the great commission there. Matthew 28:19. Jesus said, "Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." It is a huge project. And for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are to be about that project. Uh, as you think about the disciples who made disciples who made disciples, then it got to us, and then we're disciples, and we are to make disciples of all nations. So. We're doing a sermon series here at Cornerstone in which we're walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a book in which we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy going to great lengths in this project of making disciples. And specifically, of course, we see them and the work that they did in the city of Thessalonica. And as we're going through this sermon series, again, I just want to encourage you to read and reread the book of 1 Thessalonians as we go through this study so that you will learn even more about it. You'll hear more from God than if you just listen to me. And, and again, one of the reasons that I picked this series at this season of our church is because I wanted us to rekindle a passion for making disciples. We, we talk here about a passion to know Jesus, but I also hope that we have a passion to make him known. 
that we recognize that our, our walk with God isn't just about us walking with God, it's about what we can do to help other people know Jesus and grow in their faith. So in, in this book, and especially in chapters 2 through 3 of 1 Thessalonians, we see a lot of the motivation behind why Paul did what he did. And I, I hope it stands for us as a good example. As we seek to be about this project of making disciples, we can learn some of Paul's heart behind it. Now, it's fascinating for me that Paul is famous today for his part in this project, that, that Jesus told his disciples to make disciples, and the Apostle Paul is, is famous 2,000 years later. And if Paul were alive today, I bet that he would be very popular as a consultant. I bet that people would want to ask him questions like, Paul, how did you live to be 2,000 years old? That, that would be the first one they might want to ask him. But, uh, but then, after that question, they would probably want to ask him, Paul, how did you do it? You are one of the most successful church planters in all of history. How did you do it? What strategies did you use? What, what motivations did you have? But if we're not careful with those kinds of questions, we can all too easily just get into project mode. And, and honestly, there's a way of looking at Paul's life as we look back and say, oh, he, he just wanted to, to get to one city and then go to the next city. Leave these people in the dust and go to the next city and then to the next city. But if you take a closer look at the book of Acts, that's not how it actually goes. If you look at a book also like 1 Thessalonians, you see that's not how it actually went. He was kicked out of the city of Thessalonica and desperately wanted to go back there to continue helping those new believers grow in their faith. So for Paul, I think, if we were to ask him, what was it? How did you become such a successful church planter? I think that we would hear him say things like, it was deeply relational. So we're going to talk today about the heart of a disciple maker. We're going to look at a passage in, uh, that straddles over chapters 2 and 3 here in 1 Thessalonians. But before we do that, too, I want to I take a step back and just remind you of two of the themes that I've picked out from 1 Thessalonians. First one is the gospel will have a very powerful impact in our lives if we allow it to take root. And it's, it's this one in which we see that God will do powerful stuff in our hearts as we embrace and continue to embrace the gospel message. But then second the gospel will have a very powerful impact in the lives of people if, uh, people around us if we spread it. So we're going to talk more about that second theme today as we look at the heart of a disciple maker and, and kind of see the, the heart motivation behind why Paul did what he did and, and how we can engage in making disciples. So our passage is 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.5 and we're going to split it into three parts. So I'll start by reading chapter 2 verses 17 through 18. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. So in this first section, we see Paul's deep care and concern for the people to whom he ministered. And let's remember a little bit of the history of this. Remember, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they brought the gospel to Thessalonica, and for a few weeks it was going really well there. There were lots of people that embraced the gospel. But then the enemies of the gospel raised up. They uh, gathered some, some rabble-rousers from the marketplace, and they, they formed a mob, and they kicked Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town. And uh, you can imagine that uh, that was difficult for Paul. That's why Paul says in verse 17 that he was torn away. That phrase, torn away, comes from the root word for orphan. And, and the word can imply a violent separation. So Paul and the Thessalonians were like parents and children that had been 
torn apart and separated like orphans are. But Paul here reminds the Thessalonians that he was only torn away from them in person, not in thought, or literally not in heart. So his heart was still with them even as he was kicked out and had to go to a different city. And he talks about his intense longing to see them again. Later in this passage, we'll see that he calls them his joy and his crown. And he talks about how he couldn't stand being apart from them. It reminds me of the, the phase in my relationship with Christine in which we had a long-distance relationship. We lived about 500 miles apart from each other. And out of our intense longing, to, or maybe it was just my intense longing, you can ask her later, but uh, we made lots and lots of plans that year of how we would see each other, whether one of us would drive all the way or we'd meet in the middle uh, we, we had intense longing to see each other. And I think that's kind of the idea that Paul had here. You see, Thessalonica wasn't just another stop on the map for him. Paul wasn't this church planter who just you know, had this map up there and said, look how many churches I've planted. He was a guy who cared deeply about the people in these cities in which he ministered. And like it says in verse 18, he wanted to see them again, but he was stopped by Satan. Now, isn't that an interesting comment? Elsewhere in the book of Acts, Paul talks about how God stopped him from going from one place in order that he would go to another. But here he says that Satan stopped him. And certainly, I think we should see behind this God's power, because first of all, we need to remember that God is way more powerful than Satan. That, that Satan couldn't stop them if God didn't want them to be stopped. So we have to see God's plan in this, but we also have to remember that, that Satan does have some power. That, that as we go about our lives, let's remember that, that we have a very real enemy who, who does want to steal and kill and destroy. But God has good plans, and we're going to see good, God's good plans moving forward, even as Paul, Silas, and Timothy were separated from the people in Thessalonica. But let's move on to our next section to see more of the heart of a disciple maker, verses 19 through 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, do these verses sound out of place to anybody? You don't have to raise your hand here, but isn't this the same Paul who said that we should only boast in the Lord? In 1 Corinthians one thirty-one, he said, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. But here he talks about that, that crown in which we will glory. It's, it's literally a crown of boasting. So why does Paul talk about boasting about the people of Thessalonica when he's the same guy who said we should only boast in the Lord? Well, I think the simple answer is that this boasting that Paul was doing here was boasting in the Lord. He was boasting in the Lord by boasting about what the Lord had done through him, what the Lord was continuing to do in the hearts and the lives of the people of Thessalonica. So this wasn't just bragging. We see enough bragging in our culture, right? We, we see people who it's their goal in life basically to get as many followers on social media as they can. We, we see people bragging about their accomplishments. It's, it's almost funny. Kids, when I was growing up, bragging wasn't something that was looked well upon. But now it's like our society <laughs> encourages people to brag about themselves. I don't think that is what is going on here. Instead, the way I like to think of this, this is kind of a neat picture to me, because when does the boasting happen? Look at verse 19. What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? So this is actually a beautiful sort of a thing to me. This is the Apostle Paul saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, saying to Jesus, I want to prepare a gift for you. 
when you come, I want to I have a beautiful crown that, that I can give to you. And that crown isn't a, a crown of gold, it's people. People in whom I have, to whom I have ministered, so that Christ could be formed in them. And when Jesus comes, I want to present this to him as if to say, Jesus, do you like it? And it just reminds me that that's what I want us to be about. I want us to be about people. I want us to be able to have something to give to Jesus when he comes again, that we could say to him, do you like it? And and he will like it. You know why? Because he's working with us in this. As we seek to make disciples, as we seek to help people know Jesus and grow in their faith, God will do his work in the hearts of the people, and it will be a pleasing offering to him. If we join in with him and do the work. So that's a big part of this, is that that we need to be faithful to be doing our work. God will do his work. But that's why Paul could talk about these people as his hope, his joy, his crown of boasting. In Philippians 4.1, Paul called the people his joy and crown, and he told them that he loved and longed for them. One of the highest privileges we have in life is the privilege of helping people know Jesus and grow in their faith. As, now I'll get back to this, this fence analogy a little bit. As we think about you know, building a fence or, or building a business or, or whatever it is, those can be very valuable things. I, I'm not trying to suggest that we should never do anything like build a fence because all we should do is think about people. No, I, I think that God gives us useful things to do here on this earth. He gives you a useful work. That, that's the idea of that work as worship seminar that's coming on Friday, is that, that we can worship God even in our work. But, but let's think of it with that kind of a perspective, with the eternal perspective of what's most important is people. So it could be that God has placed you in your work, and whatever that means for you, that can mean in home, it could mean in an office somewhere. It could be that God has placed you in those places so that you will interact with people and can have an impact with them. So let's think about that. As we go throughout our work, as we go throughout our days, let's remember that God has plans for this. Um, I I looked up a quote. There's a quote that talks about there there are three things that endure forever. It's, It's God, His Word, and the souls of men and women. And Let's be reminded about that as we're, as we're doing our work to see the people around us. Again, a, a big part of this, the, the reason why I wanted to do First Thessalonians as a sermon series is to remind us to see the people around us. To remind us to see them as eternal souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. And let's do our part to help them know Jesus and grow in their faith because that's one of the greatest privileges that we have on this earth is to help people know Jesus and grow in their faith. So if Jesus were to come to you, to, to come to earth today, would you be able to present to him a crown and to say, here are the people that I have labored with to see Christ formed in them? And, and if not, what needs to change about the way that you're living your life right now? See, for Paul, it meant that he would get on a boat or travel across land and, and go and bring the gospel to more and more people. For us, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. For us, it might just mean noticing the people around us and seeing what kind of an influence we can have on them. So think about the people you already know. Who is it that's already in your life that maybe God would would tap you on the shoulder and say, "Just, just go alongside of them. Help them take the next steps of faith in their growth. Or maybe for some of you, maybe the the reminder here is that you need to get to know some more people. 
Maybe the next person that God wants you to help grow in their faith is somebody that you haven't met yet. And maybe you can just think about being intentional about trying to meet some more people with the hopes of bringing the gospel to them and helping them grow in their faith. But whatever it is, talk to God about it. Ask Him to show you your part in making disciples. And I would love it if we all went from here today and and prayed a prayer like that. God, show me. What do you want me to do? How can I make disciples in a way that will please you? In a way that when Jesus comes again, I'll have this, this crown of boasting that I can offer to God as, as a gift, as a sacrifice of praise. Okay, let's move on now to the next section, the last section, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. So now again, as we think about verses 1 through 2, the context of this book is that Paul had a very successful ministry in Thessalonica for a very short time, and then he got kicked out. And he wanted to go back, but you almost get this impression that they had most wanted posters in Thessalonica, and Paul's picture was on them. He was persona non grata there in Thessalonica. So as he thought about wanting to go back to Thessalonica, he probably recognized that he might do more harm than good if he were to go back. He was kind of the ringleader of this group, and, and he just wasn't welcomed back in that city. He would have been welcomed back joyfully by the believers, but not by the other people in the city. So... Apparently, Timothy didn't perhaps have that same reputation yet. And, and Paul was able to send Timothy. Maybe Timothy kind of went uh, undercover and, and was able to, to get there in the church and strengthen and encourage the believers again. But, but think about this from Paul's perspective. Paul, Timothy was a co-worker to Paul and not just any kind of co-worker. Paul called Timothy his true son in the faith and he was very dear to him. He said in one place, I have no one else like him So sending Timothy was a very big sacrifice for Paul. I thought about the Hallmark slogan here. Finish this one with me if you can. When you care enough to send the very best. That's what Paul did in sending Timothy. It wasn't like Paul said, oh, yuck, Thessalonica, I don't want to go back there. Where's where's my servant? Why Why don't you go? No, it wasn't like that at all. Paul deeply wanted to go back, but he couldn't. So he sent Timothy. And, and actually, Timothy is a really great example in the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I named my son, it's the reason I named my son Timothy, because he's such a great example. Think about the example of Timothy for a bit. He learned and grew under the tutelage of Paul, and he learned and grew so much that he became a co-worker with Paul. And then here's some of the descriptions of Timothy in the Bible. He was a true son in the faith. He had sincere faith. He served in the work of the gospel. And in our passage today, he was even called God's fellow worker. Isn't that interesting? Not just Paul's fellow worker, but God's fellow worker. Again, as we think about the great commission, we are to go on mission with God in this. And and that's what Timothy did. He worked with God in spreading the gospel. So, have you earned a reputation like that? I was thinking about it this way. Let's, let's say that some situation came up and there was a person who said to you, there's this person I know and they are just chomping at the bit to grow in their faith. 
and, and they need somebody to come walk alongside of them. I can't do it, but I wonder if you could. Now, would that person think to ask you, have you gained a reputation of, of walking with God and of being able to explain spiritual truths to other people such that you would pop into their mind as they think of who could I send to help them? I hope so. I hope that's, that's a goal for all of us at Cornerstone. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor or a missionary. It, it means that you just get to know God's word and God's ways and become able to communicate them. And probably the best way to, to grow in that is to do it. Is to, to be around other people, talk about your faith, help them grow in their faith. So, in light of the gospel, what we see here is Paul sent Timothy to the people of Thessalonica to help them grow in their faith. And in verses 2 through 5, we see three reasons why Timothy was sent. And these three reasons stand as good examples for us today. Again, as we think about the heart of a disciple maker, there were, there were three tasks that Paul gave to Timothy. We see the first one in verse 2. The first reason Paul sent Timothy was to strengthen and encourage the people of Thessalonica in their faith. And the question that pops into my mind here is, how did he do that? Paul told Timothy to go strengthen and encourage them. What do you think he did? Well, I'm almost certain that he reminded them of the gospel message. Reminded them of that message that our only hope of salvation is through what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And that only in Jesus Christ can our sins be forgiven, and only in Jesus Christ can we have eternal life. I am almost certain that, that Timothy reminded them and reminded them. And just think about that. The reminder of the gospel, it isn't just for people who don't yet know Jesus. The reminder of the gospel is for all of us. I, I want to continue to be encouraged as I hear the gospel from you all. Uh, I, wanna, I want us to encourage each other with the words of the gospel. It's the, uh, I love to tell the story idea. And those who have heard it, well, I forget the line, but uh, love to hear it even more. And then also I think that Timothy strengthened and encouraged the people of Thessalonica with scripture. Uh, you can almost be certain that, that Timothy, learning under the tutelage of Paul, got to know scripture, uh, maybe even as well as Paul did. Maybe the, the student became like the teacher, and he, he shared with the people of Thessalonica God's truth in God's word. Because remember, Jesus prayed that we would be made holy by God's word. So as we seek to strengthen and encourage each other, let it be God's word that is on our lips. That is going to be what brings us true encouragement in the faith. Okay, the second reason that Paul sent Timothy was to remind them of the place of suffering. We see this in verses 3 through 4. Jesus told us very plainly in John 16:33, in this world you will have trouble. In the book of Hebrews, we are told that when we face hardship, we can treat it like discipline. And, and whether it's something that we did wrong or whether it's nothing we did wrong at all, but we're, we're suffering through it, we are to treat it the same way and we are to treat it as if God were disciplining us because it says in Hebrews, those who have been trained by that kind of, of punishment, that kind of discipleship really, we have a harvest of righteousness and peace if we are trained by it. And then we have this beautiful picture in First Peter as well. Remember there how it talks about how our faith is more valuable than gold? And the analogy is that just as gold is refined by the fire, so our faith is refined as we have to go through grief and all kinds of trials. So sometimes, and I think 
we all are tempted to see it this way. When difficult times come in our life, we see it as an interruption, right? I had my life planned to go this way, and then this trial came, and all of a sudden, now I have to deal with all this stuff. Well, what's missing in that? Well, one thing that would be missing is considerate joy, like James says, when we face trials of many kinds. Because we know that through that testing, we can gain perseverance. So, I, I think one of the reasons that Paul sent Timothy was to remind them that trials are a normal part of the Christian life. So whether Paul was reminding them about the trials that he faced, or just encouraging them in the trials they were facing, the idea here is that we need to remember that, that trials suffering, persecution, it's part of life, and it is a God-ordained part of this life, not, not the life to come, but it is a God-ordained part of this life that God can use in us to allow us to grow in our faith. So please know that there is a place for suffering in your life. And if you're going through suffering right now, just be encouraged. God is treating you as sons. What would be more difficult would be if God didn't care about us and didn't want us to grow in our faith. But that's not what God says about us. He loves us so much that he is willing to allow us to go through these trials in life so that our faith can be refined. I hope that helps you if you're going through something difficult. I don't want you to be unsettled by any of these trials. Then the third reason that Paul sent Timothy was to get a report about the faith of the people in Thessalonica. And we see that in verse 5. You can imagine that Paul was really concerned about these new believers. Again, he had a very successful ministry for a very short time in that city, and he was probably very concerned that, that the people who started on the right path didn't continue on it. Jesus himself warned us about this. Remember the parable of the soils? The second soil is where the seed fell in rocky places. And what happened in those rocky places? Remember what happened first? Spraying up. The, the plant sprang up. It talks about, I think, uh, maybe even how the people received the message with joy. But then what happened? Because they had no root. What, what does it say? I think I wrote this down here. Uh, because they have no root, they last only a short time. And Jesus himself warned us that that can happen due to trouble or persecution. So here's Paul getting kicked out of the city. He's in the next city and he's thinking, I wonder how those people are doing. I really hope they're doing well. Timothy, would you please go back there and find out for me and for them, find out how they are, are doing and strengthen them and encourage them in their faith. And specifically, Paul was concerned that the people were following the temptations of the tempter. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul wrote that we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. Satan goes by many names in the Bible. He, he's the devil. He's our adversary. He's the deceiver. He is the tempter. And he would love nothing more than for us to be off the path that God wants us to be on. And Satan's, one of his main tools is temptation. And temptation works on our desires. And we all have desires. And if we're not careful, if we think too much about our desire, we can get off the path. Now let me, let's, let's just camp out there for a little bit. Think about your desires in life. Think about the things you want. Now, I'm not talking about those desires like to read your Bible or to pray or to come to church. Those are all good desires. I'm talking about those other desires that we all have. Those desires um, maybe to watch more TV than we really need to. Those desires to, to waste our time in whatever way it might be. Those sinful desires, whatever it might be. 
way, welcome, Becky. <laughs> it's good to have it's good to have you here. Yeah, you bet. Uh, we we mentioned already how these flowers here are in, in memory of Gail, and uh, we've been thinking about you and praying for you. And yeah, good to see you. Um, but getting back to where I was going with this, Satan has a bunch of tricks up his sleeve that he would love to use to get us off the path, and one of the main ways he does it is to tempt us with something else. So if our eyes are supposed to be on Jesus, he puts something else in our path that might say, oh yeah, that's good too, I want that. So let's be careful about those things. Let's not let anything get in the way of walking with God. Let's not fall for temptation. And remember, Satan often mixes in his lies with some truth. So is there any temptation right now that you are vulnerable to? Is there anything in your life right now where you're kind of where you might recognize, "Oh, that's more of me than it is of God?" Is there anything in your life right now where you you notice the flesh just trying to get you to agree that something that is not good is good? If there's anything that you're vulnerable to right now, just be very careful with that. Take that to God. Talk to a trusted friend about that. Stay on the right path. We do not want to be unaware of what Satan would do to deceive us. So, getting back to what Paul was saying here, his heart was to find out that the people of Thessalonica were still walking in the faith. It reminds me of something that happened at Crew this week. I lead the college ministry at the college here in town. We call it Crew. And it's only a two-year school, so we have lots of people that, that just kind of shuffle through, and they, they're there, and some of them stick around for two or three or even four years sometimes, and, and then they go on. But every once in a while, then, some of these students come back to visit on a Wednesday night. And for some reason, we had three of those students that just, that just decided, it's Wednesday night, I'm going to come back and visit crew. And it was so encouraging to me. I had a chance to talk with each of the three of them, and I was able to ask them the question, are you still walking with Jesus? Are you still on the path? And each one of them was able to say, yes, I am. And it was just such an encouragement to my heart. And, and that's what I want for, for all of us here at Cornerstone. I want you to be faithful until the end. Up through the end. <laughs> Not like we were faithful until the end and then we chuck. No. I want you to be faithful the whole time to keep walking with Jesus. And that's why we do things at Cornerstone. Like we continue to open God's word. Because we know that in it God will teach us his truth. He will strengthen and encourage us. That's why we meet together so that we can encourage one another. Uh, let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. It's nearer now than it was yesterday. Let's encourage one another. This passage today shows the heart of a disciple maker. I'm thankful that we have this picture from Paul and from Timothy of the lengths that they went to to help the people of Thessalonica grow in their faith. Because again, one of the greatest privileges we have in this world is to help people know Jesus and to help them grow in their faith. But let's get practical now as we conclude. My my conclusion today is a question. How should we do disciple-making? As we look at this project of disciple-making, how should we engage in it? Well, in real estate, you, you can say this with me if you know it, the three most important factors in real estate are location, location, location. We learned that the hard way, buying a house in uh, Mundelein, Illinois, but uh, that's all right. Um, (laughs) In disciple-making, perhaps you could say the three most important words are relationships, relationships, relationships. 
Now, as I say that, I, I hear myself saying, but wait, wait a second, wait a second, what about God's Word? Of course, yes. Let, let, let me explain what I mean when I say relationships, relationships, relationships. First and foremost, what I mean is your relationship with God. The best tool that you have in making disciples is you walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you walk with God in that way, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you and equip you to do the task of making disciples so that you can help other people know Jesus and grow in their faith. Do you see how Trinitarian that is? It's us walking with God, walking with Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit to help other people know Jesus and to walk with God. That is what it's about. So the first and foremost, then, we need to be walking with God. We need to be making sure that we are strengthened and encouraged in our faith, that we are consistent in God's word and in prayer and in fellowship with other believers, so that when the time comes for us to make disciples, we will be doing it out of the overflow of our heart. And that leads me to the, the second relationship that I want to talk about. It's the relationships that we have with other people. And you can think of it this way. Greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the way I like to think of that, you've heard me say it here before probably, is that out of the overflow of our love relationship with God, the love of God flows through us to other people. So these relationships that we have with other people, they should see the love of God in us. They should look at us and say, wow, that is a person who truly loves God. And you know what? I feel like they love me too. And I know that I'm pretty unlovable at times. So it must be a God thing that they love me. I would love it if, if we gained a reputation in town as people who loved. Because guess what? There are lots of people in Fergus Falls and the surrounding areas that are difficult to love. But you know who loves them? God does. And he wants us to love them as well. We're not going to love them if it's just done in our own power. So again, that's why, first and foremost, we have our relationship with God, walking closely with him. He will give us the strength and the love and the wisdom to do this disciple-making process. And then as we engage with these people, we simply teach them about the God that we've already been walking with. And it's a powerful thing when we join with God in this co-mission that he has given to us. So again, disciple-making isn't just some project. It's about relationships. It's about people. And yes, there are strategies we can use, but it's about people. So who are the people in your life that you can help. And again, I'll repeat myself because I think, I think this is important. One of the greatest privileges we can have in life is to help people know Jesus and to help them grow in their faith. And you, you think about it at a funeral. What's important as you talk about the life of the person? It's the people that they interacted with. As we think about that day when Jesus comes and we want to have some gifts to offer him, I want to have a crown to offer him. And I want that crown to be full of stories of people that I, in, in God's mercy, have been able to help. So who are those people in your life? Maybe they're people that are already in your life. Maybe they're the person that you're going to meet tomorrow. But let's keep our eyes open for this. As we engage in this project of disciple-making, let's keep our eyes open. Let's walk with God and trust that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us to help people know Jesus and grow in their faith. Let's be about this work. Let's be praying about it. Let's be talking about scripture with people. Let's notice people. Again, that's, maybe that's one of the takeaways for some of you. It's just to notice the people around you. That, that person around you isn't just there to annoy you. They may be annoying you, but they're also somebody that God loves. And maybe 
Maybe the reason they're annoying you is so you'll notice them. And so you'll pray for them. And maybe God will give you an opportunity to make disciples. And if there's any of you that are thinking, you know, I would love to make disciples, I just don't know how, I'd love to talk with you about that. In fact, I think this is stuff that we should all be talking about. Who are the people that, that we can help know Jesus, that we can help grow in their faith? And let's tell God that we want to join with him in that. And let's, let's see what God will do amongst us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you cared enough to send the very best for us, that you sent your son Jesus. And thank you that you also sent people into our lives to tell us about Jesus. We are grateful for them. We are grateful for you and what you've done. And now, God, we offer ourselves to you in this process of making disciples. Help us to join in this project. Help us to see the people around us and to love them with the love that you have for them. Help us to walk with you to be filled to overflowing in the power of the Holy Spirit that as we interact with people, what would come out of us is your truth and your love. So God, we pray for the lost. We pray for those who need to grow in their faith. And we give of ourselves to you, God. We offer ourselves to you. As Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, we, we're ready to go, God. Help us to see the people around us and to go with your gospel, to go with your truth. May it be for your glory. When Jesus comes again, uh, we, want to, we want him to be glorified by the work that you've done in the hearts of people as we have joined with you in this project of making disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.